We are starting our Advent series this morning. And so if you have a Bible or in the Red Pew Bibles in front of you, we will be in the Gospel of Luke. It is the third book in the New Testament, uh, page 1012 in the Red Pew Bible. The word Advent simply means coming. And so this Advent season, we are looking at the coming of Christ. I'm especially wanting to look at men and women over the course of the next, uh, there's going to be actually four, five, six sermons, really, this Advent season. Men and women who were encountered by God, who, who were confronted by the good news that Jesus is coming before he was born and when he was born. And to see what they were challenged with, how it altered the course of their life forever, and just absorb that for our own self because Jesus has come and there's also a second advent where he will come. But the good news also is that right now in our life, if you are a Christian this morning and been following Jesus for some time, he is still coming into our life still revealing himself, still showing us more of himself. And for those who don't know him, he is still meeting people for the very first time. And so looking at Jesus and looking at an encounter with him and the change they can bring to our lives is something that is worthy of our time to do. So here we are looking at a man named Zechariah. Really, Zechariah's story, as we're going to see, is a story of faith. Faith, according to the book of Hebrews, also in the New Testament, it means the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, in 2022, faith may seem like an archaic subject. Yeah, I don't care if you're the most secular among us or the strongest, most ardent atheist among us. We all have faith. We all have faith. Just to give a brief example um, if you're speaking to a secular or, uh, or an atheist today, they may say things like, well, the material world came out of a big bang and things were just here. And if you keep pressing, where did the material, where did that come from? Where did the matter come from that caused the big bang? It just came, right? It, it just appeared. Great. Well, let's replicate that in a science laboratory, something appearing out of nothing. Let's do that. You can't. Therefore... To embrace that worldview ultimately still requires faith. As much as anyone who also believes in Jesus. So faith is a necessary part of our human nature. Faith is a necessary part of our human existence. And I want to argue that Christianity, however, shows us a far superior faith than any other worldview available today. Faith, not only God is real... But in our Advent stories that he's available to us, that he has a sovereign plan for all of, his, all of human history, that all of history is culminating into, and that we, through the salvation of Jesus Christ, get to play a part in that plan and find salvation from our sins and find the joy of the Holy Spirit and find meaning and to find purpose. Yes, this is what the faith of Christianity draws us into. And it all begins with us first having to experience a death on our own, a death of denying ourself, of dying to ourself. 
And faith is a, is a leap outside of us to find meaning and salvation on something outside and not something that comes from the inside. This is what Zechariah was ultimately faced with. We're going to look at his story now. We're going to begin in verse 5 in Luke chapter 1. So here's the word of the Lord. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abiah. His wife Elizabeth also was a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, obeying all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Well along in years, that phrase means about 60-ish, okay? Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. That was the word of the Lord. Okay, so let's just kind of get a snapshot of who this guy Zechariah is. He's on the first page of Luke's gospel. He has an important role here in the story of Advent. He was a priest. He was a Levite. Um, His wife was of the family of Aaron. Luke is wanting us to know that they had, you know, in terms of their, their rank or their kind of distinction amongst Israel, it was pretty high. Aaron was, of course, the the, um, he, he was the, the brother of Moses from the family of Levi, the, high, the first high priest, right? And so this is an important family to have an association with. Luke wants us to know that they were considered righteous, passionately wanting to follow after God, keeping his laws and their heart faithful and obedient towards him. But in the story, they were childless. Now, to be childless in those days was utterly devastating. There was no social kind of, you know, nets to, to assist and help those um, later in life. To be childless would have been really considered some kind of curse from God. Someone's status would have been greatly reduced in society when you get older. Who is going to take care of you, right? It would be a scary thing to be approaching later years in life having no children, Luke is trying to get us to feel some sympathy for these two, to feel their pain and recognize the shame they kind of felt in their society. So there's there's Zechariah and there's Elizabeth, right? There they are. So Zechariah, this day, um, we don't know what day of the week it was, but this was a daily kind of ritual. And um, because there was so many priests in these days, um, they were kind of divided into different divisions. And they would serve for about two weeks a year. This is one of those weeks. Zechariah is serving. Now, to actually go inside of the holy place in the temple and to light incense um, was a huge, important, and kind of like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that was only chosen by lot. Because there's so many priests. Not everybody got a chance to do it in their life. So they kind of had like a lottery of sorts. And this day, Zechariah was chosen. This is a big deal to walk alone into the very temple itself. Table of showbread, right? We have the the lamp inside of there. We have the big, huge, thick curtain dividing the holy place from, the the most holy place from the holy place. And the altar incense is right before that curtain. So he has a chance to actually walk in there. Now, we we know this from different books that were, you know, kind of accounting this this, uh, ritual that were written around that time. That the, the custom was the priest would enter the temple, they would pray, for Israel, 
They would pray for its redemption because God had said so many promises so many centuries before that one day he would come and he would renew his kingdom. And this was when Rome ruled, they were beneath their heavy hand and they were looking for this redemption. When was it coming? So Zechariah enters this temple. Now as we're gonna see, he does pray. But I think that second prayer that who knows how many times he's prayed it in his life may have also came out of his lips. That prayer for a son. Whether he, we don't know if he prayed it that day in the temple or if he prayed it yesterday or, or what have you, but it was, a, it was a prayer in his life. I think if you're standing inside of that holy place, once in a lifetime, if there's a place to pray, to kind of fall down and pray for something really big in your life, it's kind of the moment to take it, right? So there's Zechariah. He's in the temple. As he's praying, I think, just maybe a whisper prayer, Lord, a son, please. Verse 11, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Now, I think if any of us were praying and looked up and there was an angel in front of us, we'd be freaked out too, okay? Everybody was freaked out in the Bible when an angel showed up. Nobody was like, oh, this is cool. Like, people fell down, like, terrified. that They're about to get, like, snuffed out, you know? And so he's sitting here, and he's, he's, he's scared. And you also have to remember, this is 400 years in Israel's history since anybody has seen any kind of vision or heard anything from God, right? It's broken. The, the kind of silence in that regard is broken, and an angel appears, and it's Zechariah, and he sees him, and he's scared to death. And angel says, relax, it's okay. Verse 13, he says, your prayer has been heard. What prayer? Let's keep going in verse 13. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. He will go, before, go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient of the wisdom, uh, the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Something just to draw before we get into the details here. There's a plan that was just shared to Zechariah on a kind of historical scale, right? Huge at scope. But at the same exact time as he's hearing this huge plan that's, that God is coming to this world, right? There's something for him, him and his precious wife as well, in the midst of this global plan of God. Did you know that? Friends, that God isn't too busy on the global scale to forget about little old you. We're going to go back to that thought later in our sermon. But that's the first thing that kind of pops out of this. It's like God is working, but here's this little guy, right? Just a normal Joe Schmo who's been praying his whole life for a son, and God cares for him. He cares for you. You are so significant in his eyes. We're going to talk more about that as we go, right? 
This son that was going to come from Zechariah, from Elizabeth, miraculously come in their older life, he would be set apart for something special, right? Never to take wine or fermented drink. This was a reference in Numbers chapter 6 to a, a special kind of vow that at least John the Baptist would kind of be half partaking in. But the idea is most people drank alcohol in those days because it was the only, one of the only sources of clean water. They would boil it, it would clean it before they made it. Nobody knew that boiling water cleans water in those days. But they know, all they knew is we don't get sick from this. We get sick from water a lot. But this child would be separate and unique and that he would not be drinking Um, alcohol his entire life. Very rare in those ancient days. It also says that even from the womb, the Spirit would fill him. Like Jeremiah was spoken of him, that the Spirit of God filled his mother's womb as well and separated him from, um, uh, to a unique role as prophet. And here we see the first mention of Luke for the activity of the Spirit, kind of foreshadowing his work that would be to come later in the age of the church. But this child's role was this, that he would turn many back to God. He would do so in the, in, the, in the spirit and power of Elijah, another kind of looking back in Israel's history of this great and mighty prophet who also turned many back to God right there in a very dark day in Israel's history. And this child, Zechariah, would go and turn children back to their fathers. Righteousness would again prevail among his people. And all of this was just kind of slashing through the weeds in Israel to prepare this pathway and this this, this new road for God himself to walk by and to once again enter into Israel's story. We heard this in our Advent reading, right? Isaiah looked forward to this day. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And for Isaiah was a day of comfort. After the call of Isaiah to prepare the way for the Lord, later in that chapter, in chapter 40, there's, there's something he talks about, right? Because the anticipation of preparing the way for the Lord was that God was about to show up. And this is how he describes God in that special day, showing up in Isaiah 40, 9 through 11. He, he says, go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. That good news word is, right? It's the gospel. Herald of the gospel, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. That's a very comforting picture of God showing up. Not one of of judgment, but one of a loving shepherd who will come and guide us in the ways of peace. So when Israel prayed for the kingdom of come, they were looking forward to this day. And Zechariah was just told it's coming. And your son's going to pave the way for that. Look what happens in verse 18, though. Zechariah asked the angel, well, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man. My wife is well along in years. How can I be sure of this? His faith was challenged by hearing this. Right Now, keep in mind, Zechariah and Elizabeth were described as these really ideal kind of, you know, people of God. They had, they had faith. They had obedience. They loved God. They were doing all that they could to keep his commands and walk in the ways that he set out. But here is Zechariah doubting, standing before an angel, 
potentially just having just prayed that, that same old prayer for the millionth time in his life, Lord, I need a son. And now he's doubting the angel's words. And this man would have known stories, stories that filled Israel's past of women, older women, who miraculously were able to have children late in life. He knew those stories, but yet here he is basically saying, okay, angel, prove it. Prove it. Did he not have enough evidence? Evidence that God could really do something like that, right? Sarah, Abraham's wife, she had a child in her old birth, in her old age and gave birth. Uh, Rebecca was barren but gave birth to Jacob and Esau. Hannah was barren but got up in the womb and Samuel was born. Manoah's wife was barren but Samson was born and on we go. There are even more stories like that So in the Old Testament. And Zechariah was a man who was a part of this people, right? And so how is he still struggling with faith? It isn't completely told to us what was the nature of his doubts. We don't, com- we don't really have a complete insight into that, but we just know that he doubted. So I want to ask a couple of, just a couple of ob- observations as I wrestled with this myself. Because I see a very just normal human person in Zechariah here, right? A man with great faith in God, but who struggled just like you and I. Number one, we know that he did believe in God. That seems obvious, right? Number two, we know that he is a man of prayer. He was found praying in the temple, right? If you're praying to God, there's some inside of you somewhere, there's a hope that you're actually casting out that God will hear what you're praying. And an expression, prayer is really an expression that says, I can't do this on my own, that I need your help, God. So we know that he had that sort of hope in his life toward God hearing and even answering his prayers. But how is it that instantly when he, when he receives the answer, like, I want to do this, Zechariah, the very thing you prayed for, how is it that he's doubting, right? I don't think that he sat there and began engaging in some kind of like, you know, rational arguments, like let's weigh the evidence of how this may or may not come true and eventually found himself doubting. I don't think that is probably what happened here, okay? I think what probably happens, something that happens to you and I often, I want you to track with me, C.S. Lewis talked about this, that often what challenges our faith is not that, you know, reason you know, because faith is very reasonable. That's different sermon for a different day. It's often that our own emotions, even our own imaginations, get the best of us and instantly can take out our faith so quickly. Let's walk through this. C.S. Lewis points out in his book, Mere Christianity, that when he first became a Christian, he kept hearing Christians talk about faith as a virtue. He's like, faith is a virtue. That's like a moral thing, right? To be virtuous is something moral. How is faith a moral action? How is faith a virtuous action? Peter talks about this. In 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7, he actually says, in view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with generous provision of moral excellence. Moral excellence with knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, patient endurance, patient endurance and godliness. Godliness and brotherly affection, etc. Faith and moral excellence go hand in hand. And how is this so? To return to C.S. Lewis, he points out something obvious. I don't think we talk enough about this. And he uses an analogy of getting surgery, okay? I've done this before, too, if you've ever been put under with um, anesthetics. Um, Like, we know that doctors aren't going to begin the operation if you're awake. Is that like everybody's worst nightmare? You know, like, what if they screw this up and I'm, like, wide awake? 
and I can't talk or something, and I'm like feeling it, but they don't know. Like, anybody had that fear before? Yeah, I mean, I have, right? But we know like they're not going to do that. These are professionals. They're going to make sure that we are under. And C.S. Lewis talks about this. Like, I know they're going to do a good job at that. They're not going to have me awake. But nevertheless, the minute that I start getting put under, the minute they put the mask on or whatever it is, they'll start putting you under, what feeling comes up in him? The feeling of panic, saying, what if it doesn't work this time? His faith is instantly broken because of his own feelings, his own imagination. Against all reason, his emotions take out his faith. I think our emotions often get in the way of our faith, way more than we would like to admit. And I think perhaps for Zechariah, it was his emotions as well, to pray for one moment to have a child for the next to say, wait, what? We're old. How, what do you mean how's this going to happen? It makes no sense. This is why faith is a virtue and why it goes along with moral excellence, right? It's more than just mere belief. It's more than just mere saying, I believe some thought of faith, and that's what, you know, Scripture calls us to have. That's what Zechariah was called to have, just some thoughts of faith. No, it's much more than that, right? And his emotions were stronger than just his faith, right? And James says that in the book of James, in the New Testament, when we doubt, we start getting tossed about like waves, I don't know if you've seen like a, a little boat or something and the waves that come crashing in, you know, it just, it gets tossed about, right? And this is what happens when we doubt, right? And it just continually reminds me that if our emotions guide us, it just throws us and rocks us back and forth. This like doubting tosses us to the next wave and to the next wave, right? And I think it's reasonable to have faith in God, but even more so for Zechariah, he was being called to a faith that surpassed his emotions, that even up against his own emotions that he needed to deny himself, deny how he felt in that moment and still embrace God's word through this angel in faith. And this is where ultimately I believe he failed. And this is what Jesus confronts us with. In our age of emotion, we are often told emotions should drive us. That the truth of who we are can be discovered by allowing our emotions to be unbridled, to let them go free, then the real you will emerge. We're told that we need to validate each other's feelings, and to do so actually has, is a moral imperative to do so to one another. But at its core, the message of Advent is really the opposite. It's God entering into this world, entering into human history, and calling all of us to conform to him, to believe in him, and to, to embrace the salvation offered to us, embrace his promises, and allow his Holy Spirit to change us so that we are thinking like him, that we are feeling like him, that we love like him, all the while continually putting to death the things inside of us that would say otherwise, recognizing that we are due to sin, the original sin in our life, this is what's broken, and this is what needs healing, and this is what must be denied if I am to find true life. And that is the message of the gospel, that we have true life, that Jesus paid for the stuff that's broken inside of us, and he's offering that to us. So Zechariah's lack of faith, I, I think, is very normal. It's very human. And I want to look at Gabriel's response here in verse 19. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. Now just push pause on that. There's only two angels in the Bible named Gabriel and, and Michael, okay? So this isn't just like any old angel. This is the same angel that showed up to Daniel, all right? So if you were Zechariah, I would be even more nervous, like, whoa, this is Gabriel, like, I heard about you, 
all right? I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. So in a way, Zechariah's wish for a sign, he got it, right? He got his sign. Maybe not the one he was looking for, but he got it. And just a little hint there that shows that his story that was just told to him through, that was going to happen through his son in verse 19, it was part of the good news. The gospel was told him in a way, right? A part of the gospel was told him in the coming of this Christ child and how his son, what part he would play in this. So his silence would end upon the fulfillment of what God has spoken. In other words, God, uh, Zechariah would have to watch the unfolding of God's work as promised, the miraculous conception of his son through his aged wife, the birth of his son. He would have to observe, observe all of this, still unable to speak. God got his attention this morning, right? Just a quick question. Is he trying to get yours this Christmas season? Right? Do you have doubts that you're not even expressing, right? that you kind of want to? Right? Is there something stirring in your own heart that you wish you could just say aloud as God trying to get your attention to kind of wake you up even this morning? He surely wanted to get Zacharias. I mean, the story of Advent is really the story of God's, the continuous story. I mean, this isn't, you know, Jesus didn't come and like invent a new religion. Like if you pay attention, this is all the stories in the Old Testament are still happening and they all pointed to this one moment in Jesus's birth, right? And so really the whole story here in Advent is just one of the capstones of that story is the relentless ends that God goes to get those who belong to him. The relentless ends that God goes to grab his children and say, you're mine because I love you and I will get you. He was gonna get Zechariah, right? He wasn't too busy to get a hold of Zechariah's heart and to wake him up. Let's continue on, verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, but he kept making signs to them and remained unable to speak. Again, 400 years, no prophetic visitation, no angelic visit, right? And it happens, but nobody knows what was said. It was still going to be silent for some time. In verse 23, when the time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Take note of her. Next week, we'll be looking at Elizabeth in our sermon. So now, if you have your Bible, skip down to verse 57. We'll look at Mary also in another uh, sermon. But Elizabeth and Zechariah's story picks back up in verse 57. So fast forward, you know, eight or nine months here. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. Gabriel did say many will rejoice at his coming, right? A little foretaste of the gospel of how many will rejoice at the coming of Christ. Verse 59, on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father Zechariah. 
That was very normal. In those days, this was like, this was a huge moment. I mean, it's an honor-shame culture, right? So for the son to inherit the father's name, this was a, a legacy that was going to be passed down to him, right? Um, something that without it would have been just really shameful for this couple. So here's the moment where, of course, the son's going to be named Zechariah, as everybody thought. Verse 60, but his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. We don't feel the force of that, but that was a big deal for everybody here, for everybody to hear that we're there. Verse 61, they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. In other words, are you crazy, right? Like, what are you doing? You're breaking every custom in the book here. What are you thinking? Verse 62, then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. So there's some kind of like tension here. Okay, so a little bit of tension. Elizabeth says it. Okay, Zechariah, where are you at? You know, are you going to go forward with this or not? Verse 63, he asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And then look what happens. Now, keep in mind, when the, his muteness would go away, okay, when, the, when this, these things happened, said Gabriel. Well, the child was born... Okay, he was still mute. Okay, days went by, he was still mute. It wasn't until this moment, okay, when he, when he wrote down his name is John, verse 64, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and began to speak, praising God. It was, an, it was that action of saying, yes, his name is John that opened up his mouth. In verse 65, the neighbors were all filled with awe. And throughout the whole hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, saying, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. This is what I want you to understand the nature of faith as we see in this story here. Faith is more than just having a mere, you know, thought. Like, okay, surely he understood when his wife kept getting larger in her pregnancy and the baby was born. Okay, he believed that that was going to happen. But faith is more than just mere, you know, a thought in your mind, right? If there's an opportunity, unless you're on your deathbed and you express your faith in Jesus, right? Um, faith, the, the Greek word points toward faithfulness. The word trust could most easily also be said. There's an action that's invoked in our faith. And we see that his faith is carried out through an action that says, Lord, I agree with this. I've seen you work your miracle here, and I am so thrilled to name this son John and not Zechariah. I'm so thrilled to give this son over to you and for all of your plans that you have for him and not keep him in my own family's legacy, but Lord, he is yours, and I'm excited for this. And he exercised his faith, and bam, then his tongue was loosed. When we're called to have faith in the good news of Jesus, it's not just a mere thought to pass toward Jesus' way. He is calling for all of you. He is calling for a faithfulness of all of your life, of all of your heart, of all of your soul, and all of your strength. And here Zechariah took his first step in that faith to saying, this is your son. His name is John. This is what we draw from this story this morning. And we close with a song from Zechariah that fills, comes out from his lips. Uh, funny enough, his, his son was to be a prophet, and now Zechariah himself becomes among the prophets. In verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. 
praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come. He's already come. Jesus wasn't even, he wasn't even born yet, but he's already come. Do you see this? And has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. The, the, the picture is like a, a big strong animal with a horn that is kind of breaking through his enemies. There, the horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. As he was filled with the Spirit in this moment, he said, God is already here. Like he's already coming right now as we speak. Salvation was coming, as we're gonna see for Luke. It, it was, although there was a really uh, deep hope and desire for a national deliverance from Rome, Israel's enemies, as Luke tells the story, it, it unfolds that it was really a spiritual deliverance that was coming uh, their way, a spiritual deliverance from spiritual enemies, deliverance from sin. We'll see this in a second for Zechariah. And this is what God's people did not quite expect, but God through Zechariah was announcing this salvation. Now it's really important to note in verse 72 and 73, mentioning the holy covenant, mentioning Abraham. This is one long story, right? This is a story from Genesis to Revelation, one continuous story that God was bringing to accomplishment exactly how he said that he would. When God says something, he does it. His word does not go void and is unfolding as we see in this story. In verse 76, he continues on, and you, my child, you think of this, it's really a tender kind of moment. You think of this man in his 60s who just his whole life begged for decades in marriage for a child, and now he has it, and he's speaking to his son for the first time because his mouth has been closed for all these days. He's holding his son in his arms and he's saying, you, my child, will be called a prophet to the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, which the rising of the sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew, became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he publicly appeared to Israel because the child was a very interesting individual. This was John the Baptist. His story was told later in the gospel. John will give people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins, offered to us through the tender mercy of God. His um, he will shine on us living in darkness in the shadow of death. This is all language that Isaiah spoke of 700 years before. This is a God who is coming to earth from heaven who will guide our feet in peace. These things we will continue to unfold as the Advent season unfolds. So in this story, as we conclude our time today, Zechariah had an encounter with the coming Christ, and it deeply challenged his faith. It challenged him to embrace God's work in his own life, which ultimately revealed a much larger work that this son that was to come, John, would be a part of, that was to prepare the way for God himself. Now, I want our faith this morning to be challenged as well. The coming of Christ, as we remember, every Advent season is an event that forever changed history. God became flesh. 
And if God exists and God became flesh, it demands our conformity to him. It demands a response from us. And once we embrace it, embrace him, it demands us to conform to him and to his plan and to deny ourselves. At the most basic level, this is the call of, of Advent. And as we said, true faith isn't just a feeling or belief, it's a formative action. Faith shapes us. Because to have faith, to continue to have faith in Jesus throughout our life, it shapes us because we learn not to trust ourselves, but to trust in him. Some of those basic calls of Christianity, and this shapes us, right? It shapes us to be less and less trusting of ourself and more and more saying, Jesus, I need you less of me. Some of the most famous words of this son, John, who was born later in his life when he had his own disciples and Jesus' ministry started and Jesus, is, he was kind of stealing the show a little bit. He was doing miracles, doing all this amazing stuff and people started leaving the, to kind of follow Jesus and, and people were saying, John, you're, you're losing your crew here. Like, you're losing your audience. Who's this Jesus guy? What's going on? You know what John's famous words were? It's time that he must increase and I must decrease. That's what happens when we meet Jesus, friends. That's what happens. That's what faith does to us. He must increase. I must decrease. Now, how's that happen practically? A couple of things I'm going to mention as we close here. Because this is really hard, right? I mean, faith is something we live by. Romans 1.17, the righteous live by faith. We don't just have faith at the beginning. It's something we live by day by day. It's really hard. A couple of things we learn from the story, practically speaking, that we should pray the same prayer over and over and over and over and over and over and over again and then pray it again and then keep praying it. Anybody have a prayer like that in their life? That it just seems like, really, God? Like, there's so many verses. 1 John 5, 14 says, when we pray, God hears our prayers. 1 Peter 3, 12. God's ears are open to our prayers. Uh, Psalm 34, 17. When the righteous cries for help, the Lord hears and delivers them. And some of you are sitting here saying, I kind of can associate to Zechariah and praying this prayer for decade after decade and wait and wait. Where, where, where's God here? But Zechariah still prayed it. Right? Faith calls us to do what seems insane, to pray the same thing over and over and over again, still having expectation. That's what faith does. Doesn't that, that prayer shape you in the process, right? Like if you're continually facing this insane difficulty in your life, and you're continually just giving hope over to God to say, I, I need you to intervene. You haven't yet. I'm going to still keep praying. This shapes you to still trust in the saving hand of Jesus Christ and not in your own self to repair your situation. This is what we see for Zechariah. That's the kind of faith we're called of. That's the kind of faith that Advent gives us reason to hope in, right? Romans 15, 14 actually says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance... And through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Don't lose hope, friends. Keep praying that prayer. Don't lose hope. If there's anything of Advent that it's about, it's not losing hope, 
right? The first week of Advent, liturgically speaking, is the week of hope, which is this week. Don't lose hope. Uh, The second thing we see here is living a life of faith. Really living that God is present. Really living that God is actually with you right now, present in your life. Zechariah was confronted with God's cosmic work that would affect the world, yet simultaneously he learns that there was a deep concern of God for his own life, that he was in pursuit of Zechariah, that he was with Zechariah. And he recognized this even before Christ was born. He says, God has already come. He's already shown up. My own family. Obviously, God is the one who worked this miracle. He's already here. He is with us now. You see, Advent, or the coming of Christ, indeed affected world history, but it affects you sitting in this pew now. God has come, yes, to redeem this world, and one day he will come and make all things new, but he wants to make you new. Isaiah speaks of this beautiful verse, Isaiah 49, 16. He says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. And the day the nails were driven through those hands showed us the sort of love that he has for you. That I can only pray the same prayer of Paul in Ephesians. That right now, through the Holy Spirit, you would just get a glimpse of the depth of God's love for you that this Advent season ultimately points us to. And the call here as we close, I'm gonna call up, have some music playing here. The call is one of faith this morning. Will you cast yourself in faith to Jesus Christ this Advent season? Will you give yourself over to him in faith this Advent season? Will you allow him to work and to shape and to mold you as you exercise your faith in him this Advent season? Right now, we're going to have uh, what we call our time of ministry, time of response. We're not going to have a song that we're going to sing together this morning, um, but we're going to just have a time of prayer. Um, so as we, as we're going to have some piano playing behind us, people will be available up here for prayer. If you would like to come forward to pray with somebody, please do so. Um, maybe you need to grab somebody sitting close to you in this room and to pray with them. Maybe you need to sit alone Grab the hand of your spouse. I just want this time to be a time of response. That we don't just leave if God tugged on your heart through the Spirit and not respond to Him. We're not here for the purpose of a sermon, right? We're not here for the Daniel show or for the, you know, uh, Jim show to hear worship. We're here to meet with God. Let's take this time and meet with Him. Jesus, we thank you that you are here in this room. We thank you, you came to earth. Lord, we're challenged by this story of Zechariah, challenged in the quality of our faith, Lord. Help us to not let our emotions rule the day. But Lord, would you give us the faith that leads to obedience, the faith that shapes us, Lord. The faith that leads to hope in our life that you have not left us, nor have you forsaken us. We thank you, Jesus, for your life, your death, and your resurrection. Would you meet with us now as we conclude our service? In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you. Come forward as needed for prayer.